language verse 1. When Jesus had called the twelve together, he gave them power and authority to drive out all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. And he told them, take nothing for the journey, no staff, no bag, no bread, no money, no extra tunic. Whatever house you enter, stay there until you leave that town. If people do not welcome you, shake the dust off your feet when you leave their town as a testimony against them. And so they set out and went from village to village, preaching the gospel and healing people everywhere. Now Herod the Tetrarch heard about all that was going on, and he was perplexed, because some were saying that John had been raised from the dead, others that Elijah had appeared, and still others that one of the prophets of long ago had come back to life. But Herod said, I beheaded John, who then is this? I hear such things about. And he tried to see him. And when the apostles returned, they reported to Jesus what they had done. And then he took them with them, and they withdrew by themselves to a town called Bethsaida. But the crowds learned about it and followed him. And he welcomed them and spoke to them about the kingdom of God, and healed those who needed healing. Lord, we read your word, we read it many times, and it's so alive. And you're touching people's lives in ways that they never forget. And Lord, we in many ways have been lulled asleep in our culture, in our time, to expect very little of your power, of your presence. And we pray that you will continue to awaken us to the treasure and the miracle that you have worked, not only at Christmas, but by your Spirit every day as we follow you. And we pray that you'll bring this word that we read about it into life and action in our day and in our presence. That we might see the power and the reality of the living God in our midst. To that end we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I've been brooding over that um, chapter, that ver- those verses in that chapter for the last couple of weeks. Jesus sending his disciples out. And uh, if you want a theme, uh, I'm going to tell you what this means at the end. Pick up your socks. going to mean nothing to you right now, which is the point, you know. But Jesus called his, uh, the twelve together, and in Romans 9, uh, this is actually more of the theme, Romans 9 verse 17, God is, is working, uh, and Paul speaks about how God uses Pharaoh, and then he says in verse 17, for the scripture says to Pharaoh, I raise you up. This very pur- for this very purpose that I might display my power in you and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. That's a word that God speaks over each one of us. I have raised you up for this very purpose that I might display my power in you and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. 
The whole purpose of your life and my life is for God's love and His life to be displayed in us. There's no other reason. If you look at an object that's created by any artist, it glorifies the artist. You say, what skill, what vision, what, what amazing technique. And when God looks at us and we look at Him, the main purpose of, of our lives is that we would honor Him, we would glorify Him, we would bring glory to Him, that people would look at our lives and go, what an amazing God. I want to know Him. And so I want to just spend some time going through this passage because the, the bottom line is that I believe God is, is, is just wanting to awaken in us more and more the potential that He has placed within us. The power that He has placed within us to be His servants and to do incredible things for Him. And we tend to get enormously stuck because we think we have to have it. And we don't have to have it. We have to know how to be connected to it. And then it will work in us and through us. So how does that start? How does it work? Well, it starts when Jesus calls. Because Jesus, uh, we read in verse, chapter 9, verse 1, when Jesus had called the twelve together, and we'll stop there. We can't serve God without being called by Jesus. Because unless we're called by Jesus, we just serve a higher power who has no definition. And usually, because I have quite a lot of conversations like this with people who don't know God, they have no idea of God. I'm talking to people right now over on the other side where they talk about spirituality and there's no understanding of spirituality at all. It's just, I do whatever I want and then I call something spiritual. But God, the living God, sent Jesus and through Jesus he calls us to himself who is the Father. And he called these twelve, and he called them individually first. If you know the story, he went around, he walked around the different areas of Galilee, and he called individual people, James and John and Simon Peter. He called them from what they were doing, and he said, come and follow me. And they heard his name, and they saw him, and they followed him. They didn't know much, they didn't understand what they were doing, they just knew there was something in this person that met something inside them that resonated in a way that gave them life. And so he called these individuals as he calls you and me. He calls you by name. He calls you this morning. He calls us every morning. And he calls us by name and he says, Come. We've got stuff to do today. I want us to twist our minds around from where we get locked. If you're like me, we get, you get locked in... Jesus, you come to me and I've got a lot of stuff you need to sort out in my life. Most of us live life like that. God is there to do stuff for me. And if he doesn't do stuff for me, I get really ticked off and I say, why the heck should I do anything for you? And then we wonder why it's not working. It's just not working because it doesn't work that way. He is God. And so Jesus calls and he says, come, come to me. And then if you read through Luke earlier, I'm not going to now because we don't have time, he calls those disciples together and then he selects twelve. 
He spends time with them all and then he spends time with his father and he selects twelve who will be designated his apostles. Who he's going to work with in a special way in order to launch uh, the Christian church worldwide. And they're certainly not people who most of our churches would select. They're a ragbag bunch of people from all kinds of walks of life. And so let's, uh, they've, they've been with Jesus a little while. They've seen him raise, raise somebody from the dead. They've seen him uh, work healings and miracles. But frankly, they haven't had a lot of training. They've had less education than everyone in this room. They have less understanding than everyone in this room. They pretty much have less of everything, probably than everyone in this room. All they had was they were called by Jesus and they'd spent some time with him. And in the Greek you don't have punctuation. I think this punctuation might be wrong. When Jesus had called the twelve together, he gave them power and authority. But you could read it, when Jesus had called the twelve together, he gave them power and authority to drive out. Because he sent them out together. And one of the things I know I'm a bit like a broken record about is that we desperately need the togetherness in order to go and be effective. We need togetherness for effectiveness. And that individual calls and individual sending outs are usually dangerous because we tend to self-select. We tend to go with what we call are our strengths, which usually are not what God is calling us to. Because our strengths lead to us getting in the way of what he's wanting to do, because we're too confident. So the way he breaks in disciples is to get you to work in your weakness. Sorry about that, but it's just the way it seems to work. And very often you will find that actually the things that you perceived initially were weak are the things that become your strength. But if we have the control of how it all works, we will live on the shore and we will never go anywhere. That's why we need one another. And so Jesus calls those disciples and he calls them together and he sends them out together. And if you're wanting to grow in any way in the Christian faith, together is crucial. You and I need together. Partly because it's irritating and that's how it works. It basically refines us. We need one another. Alright, I won't belabor that. He gave them power and authority to drive out demons and to cure diseases and he sent them out to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. Have we got a PowerPoint there? I just jotted down, I I spent about a half an hour just going through, um, I think it was Matthew, uh, and just jotting down where Jesus did his stuff. And he did a little bit in the synagogue, but most of the time it was out all over the place, in the desert, on the beach, on the sea, uh, going into towns, coming out of towns. You can flick on to the next one because it's just to to make an illustration. Uh, 
he was interrupted half the time. He did many things while he was being interrupted. He, was, he, he just was continually out there doing things with people. And in the process of that, God's kingdom broke open among the people. That's really important, isn't it? Because this isn't where God's kingdom is going to be most powerfully witnessed. It's going to be in our everyday lives. So church is just something to inspire, encourage, uh, swap stories in order to go out and really be used by God. God hasn't called me to do it on behalf of you or Brad. We're all called. In whatever place we work, wherever we live, we're all called to be uh, what God wants us to be. And where we are, the kingdom of God is present. And so wherever these people went, wherever Jesus went and where his disciples went, he sent them out and he said, proclaim the kingdom of God, the reign of God, the realm of God. The, the, the earth had become, as we've talked about before, a prison camp where everybody felt like you've got to suck it up and you've got to just survive and you've got to make the best you can do and maybe when you die you will get to heaven. That's how people live. The kingdom of God was, no, life is a gift from God where his power is present and he has overcome evil and you are living in a place that uh, you were never called to be. gone off now? And so it's God breaking into the prison camp and saying, this is what life looks like when I am present, when I am in authority. And he demonstrated his power by healing diseases and casting out demons. Demons were evil spirits that captivated people and captured them and caused all kinds of uh, horror in their lives, as it still does. So Jesus called these disciples to himself not to spend the rest of their lives in a little cabin in Galilee but to go out and be salt and light in the world is basically what he was ta- training them to be. He was called out and said just as you have experienced as Julia said just as you experience the love and the power of God in yourself there are lots of other people around who, who desperately are crying out for that. So you go and you give and you share with them the power of God. Go and speak and do. What do you think we've done with that? It struck me as I was preparing this. Jesus sends his disciples out in the power of his spirit. And he says, you go and uh, release people from demonic forces. You go and cast out sickness. You go and show the power of God and share with them the kingdom. Seems to me what's happened is what we do now is we go out and you say, you need to change. You need to know Jesus. You need to read the Bible. You need to come to Him. You need to repent. You need to smarten up your life. You need to get your act together. You need to come and be like me. We have taken all the power away and put all the responsibility on the person who doesn't know Jesus. And we do that because we have no power ourselves. 
And the easiest way to justify my powerlessness is to draw attention to you. We have actually totally reversed evangelism. And we've made it the responsibility of those who are not in the church to feel guilty and come to their place with Jesus. Because we haven't had the guts and the integrity to press in ourselves with this Jesus whom we know, or we say we know, and find that power to the degree that he actually impacts and makes a difference. That's why most of Port Alberni is not in church. That's why if you give half the people you know an option, do you want to play golf this morning or go to church to play golf? And we'll turn around and say, well, you know, people just aren't spiritual anymore and people just aren't, you know, it's terrible, isn't it? Jesus is the reason for the season and so is Santa. You know what I'm saying? And I believe God is desperately trying to breathe into us, his people, and say, do you understand the power that is within you? Do you understand that you are the solution? And I send you out with the same mandate as I sent those disciples out. And as long as you sit here and keep on saying, well, I'm not quite ready, I'm not quite whole, I'm not quite this, I'm not quite that, nothing will change. And I'm not exhorting, actually, I'm talking to all of us. But the power of God is what is going to transform lives. The presence of God. What would it be like to pray for somebody who is sick and see them healed and then they say, what is that? And you say, well, that's just the love of God. He wanted you to know that he loves you and he hears your cry. But you're just, yeah, I know. That's what's so cool. Jesus sent his disciples out with authority. What was their authority? He said, you go as my representative. You go as a citizen of the kingdom. I don't know about you, but I don't wake up every morning and phone up to your head office in Canada and see if I'm still a citizen of Canada. I've been there and I've done that. So now live as a citizen. The same is true as, as Christians. You are a citizen of the kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven. And that kingdom gives you rights and gives you access to power. It gives you a mandate to go and, and uh, expand the territory. And God places you, as we said in Romans, He places you here for a reason. And that reason is to show to others that He is alive. The whole purpose of your life and my life is that God will be glorified and others will come to know Him and know His life and His love. That is the purpose. Everything else is peripheral. Many of us find meaninglessness in our lives because we're not pursuing the meaning that gives life. And that's why Jesus says the kingdom of God is within you. It's not far away. His rule, His reign. See, Jesus didn't come to say, will you believe in me? God's kingdom is present where He is king.
We call it surrender. It's not just about what I believe, it's about who I follow. And so surrender means, Lord, what do you want to do with me? Thank you that you can use me. That would be a good place to start or to continue, is to stop telling God what you can't do and thank him for what he is and that he is your king and he loves you and he can use you. A really good artist can use anything. You know that, don't you? A really good artist can take a piece of chalk and draw a magnificent... You, you will see the talent in what he does, or she does. So you have authority from the King of Kings and you have power from the King of Kings to change the world. What's the problem? Acts 22, verse 22. I mean, if you want a bit more adventure in your life, then, then, then pursue some of this, because it's quite fun, I think. 22.22, 22. Paul was being, uh, about to be flogged. He was imprisoned. He was about to be flogged for uh, basically talking about Jesus. The crowd listened to Paul until he said this. Then they raised their voices and shouted, Rid the earth of him, he's not fit to live. As they were shouting and throwing off their cloaks and flinging dust into the air, the commander ordered Paul to be taken into the barracks. He directed that he be flogged and questioned in order to find out why the people were shouting at him like this. As they stretched him out to flog him. This is so cool. This is authority. This is, this is citizenship. Paul's been stripped. He's been laid down to be flogged. And that's vicious stuff. This is not cotton wool tapping, let's pretend. This is ripping the flesh off. And Paul, you can see him, he's stretched out to flog and Paul says to the centurion standing there, is it legal for you to flog a Roman citizen? He knows darn well it's not. Who hasn't even been found guilty? The centurion heard this and he went to the commander and reported it. What are you going to do, he asked. This man is a Roman citizen. The commander went to Paul and asked, tell me, are you a Roman citizen? Yes, I am, he answered. The commander said, I had to pay a big price for my citizenship. I was born a citizen, said Paul. So they didn't flog him. You see, that's a spiritual analogy in the world. Evil will overwhelm you until you stand up and say, do you know who I am? And if you don't know who you are, evil couldn't care less. The power of evil lies to you all the time and to me all the time. And until we rise up and say, you, you have no authority over me, I'm a citizen of the kingdom of God, we will have no victory. The victory is in our sense of identity, of who we are and who Jesus has made us. There is huge, huge power in that. That's why Jesus sent out his disciples. He didn't say, send them out saying, I'm trusting in your ability to, to, to mimic me. He said, I give you power and authority that is not your own so that when you see sickness and you speak to it, it will be gone because my power is going to work through you. You and I, as we call Jesus our Lord, have that same power and that same authority.
So you have this passage, which is what bugged me so much, when he says to them, and I'm repeating myself on purpose, he gave them power and authority to drive out all demons and to cure diseases, and he sent them out to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. And he told them, don't take anything with you. He said, first of all, I'm not coming. And secondly, I don't want you to take a staff. I don't want you to take a bag. I don't want you to take bread. I don't want you to take money. And I don't want you to take clothes. I don't want you to take anything other than what you're standing in right now. And you're to go. Go into the surrounding countryside and do what I've told you to do. And if people are pleasant to you and they welcome you, then go with them. If they're not, then just say, cheers, we'll be back. Maybe we won't be back. You snooze, you lose. Bye-bye. And they came back and they reported to Jesus what they had done and they said it works. And I was saying to Dave and Brad, I wonder what it would be like for us if Jesus were to send us out into Vancouver Island. We would need two years of training. We would need a U-Haul truck. We would need projectors, overhead equipment, guitars, electronic equipment, speakers. We would need books. You know what we would need. A lot of stuff. And I wonder what we would come back saying. Why would we need a lot of stuff? Because basically what my mindset is, is I'm going to try and persuade you that Jesus is real. So I want to show you pictures of that and there's nothing wrong with doing this but that's the emphasis. And Jesus sends these tax collectors and sinners and fishermen and political activists who had said yes to him in their heart as best they could and had surrendered to him enough to follow him and he sent them out. And I think what he was saying to them was I am the U-Haul truck. I will supply your needs and I want you to learn that. And if you need a visual aid, well pray for the first person you see and then they will be healed and then you can talk about that. I'll give you visual aids that are fresh. That's how the early church worked. People witnessing to the power of Jesus, people's lives and hearts being changed, people being freed from diseases, and people saying, wow, I want to know that, God. And I don't think it's changed, do you? In our hearts and hearts, we all want that. So what's an analogy, maybe, that will help us today? Well, today we could say, okay, I'll give you my laptop. Imagine we are all laptops. And within us are huge resources. The ability to go on the internet, the ability to send mail, the ability to research, the ability to show movies. Everything is in that little laptop. But the first thing that laptop, the laptop on its own, if you actually take it all apart and you actually, you know, maybe cost out its components, it's probably not very worth very much. 
It's just plastic and bits and pieces of stuff. Imagine your whole life. All you can do is try and find out meaning for a laptop that's never worked. That the sum of your life is your self-awareness of I'm a bit of plastic and I have these buttons and this is what I am. And you get to heaven and God the Father opens up that laptop and says, do you understand what you had? And you just break down and go, I had no idea. He said, all of this is within you. It's called the kingdom of God. But you wouldn't think outside of your creation. You wouldn't think outside of your laptop box. You just looked at the plastic and you said, that's all it is. And he says, you fool. Those are the tools in which my spirit will breathe life. And when, they breathe, when my spirit breathes life through those tools, like this projector, your people's attention will not be on the projector, it will be on the screen, it will be on wherever my spirit falls. The kingdom of God is within you. What's required is somebody to open that laptop, somebody to activate it, somebody to connect it to a wireless network. Jesus came into the world to activate what God has placed in you and me. And when we ask Jesus into our lives, it activates, in computer language, something that comes to life that is far more glorious than anything on a Microsoft website. We have not because we do not ask. We have not because we do not believe. We have not because we will not. It's not about you and me in the natural. It's about what we contain in the supernatural. The issue is about surrender. The issue is will I let God use me? Believing in Jesus means I can do whatever I like and just fit him in. Following Jesus means I have to leave the boat and the fish, the nets. That's what we're called to. That's what will change lives. And these motley crew wandered through the Galilee region and the Herod, the Herod, the, uh, the leader, said, what is going on here? He stood up and took notice. Romans 12, verse 9, we nearly finished. We read a, an account of love, and love must be sincere, hate what is evil, cling to what is good, be devoted to one another. This is all about... How do people who say they follow Jesus live together? If I'm looking for leadership, if I'm looking for God working in your life or my life, this is what I'm looking at. I'm looking for the qualities of integrity and relationship that bears with one another 
in, a, in the midst of our imperfection. I am so sick of Christians who have been around churches for years and I know I shouldn't speak like this but um, criticize and criticize and criticize and criticize but never go anywhere. And that is because we need one another to grow into maturity to follow Jesus and to be powerful for him. And so Paul says, honor one another above yourselves, never be lacking in zeal, keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord, be joyful in hope patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Why am I reading this? I'm reading this and you can read the rest because it's saying the context of life is challenging. And it's precisely within the context of the challenges of life that God breathes His Spirit and shows a difference. And instead of us continually praying away the context of life and saying, why don't you make it better, why don't you make it easier, why don't we... He just says, why don't you live in the midst of it? Why don't you stop praying for time off and holidays and why don't you find life in the midst of the the stuff? And then you'll see a change. The kingdom of God is within you. Or the laptop of God is within you, whatever you like to call it. All he's wanting is to release and activate much, much more. Some of us maybe have one or two programs. He says there's much, much more. So I would encourage you to, to, to thank God that he has called you. To say, Jesus, here I am. I want to be your servant more effectively. You say, well, how do I do this? Well, you meet together and you work together. David Shadbolt actually has just got a book called Hello, Hello David, I'm God. And he, it's, a, it's actually quite a cool book um, about just learning how to listen to God and learning how to to follow him in his own very mundane way and life. And I'm going to read you two excerpts. He, sa- he, he talks about listening to God. I don't know about you, but I often find the Lord works this way with me. First he gets my attention, then as I respond he says more in terms of direction or insight or, or gives me more detail. If I don't obey, he doesn't say any more. I wonder how many of us have suffered the silence of God, maybe for years, just because we didn't do what he asked us to do the last time. I'm not saying that the silence of God is always for this reason, because God also uses silence to teach us things, like faith, tenacity and perseverance. But right now, God, ask God to remind you if there's any unfinished business he has asked you to do. Ask him to forgive you for not hearing him, and then ask him to continue to speak to you and use you. Now listen to this. He will start with small things. Very small things. I first heard the Holy Spirit when he told me to put away my socks as I dumped them on the floor as normal. Hear it, hear it, hear it. He told me to put away my socks. And I asked why. And he said, because it will bless your mum. So I did. The next morning, she came in and noticed and mentioned it, saying something like, only God could could be doing this in you. (laughs) It was a small thing, which you may say was of no significance in the overall scheme of the salvation of mankind. But why should God trust you with souls of man if he can't trust you to listen to him in the small things? 
My brothers and sisters, there's huge power in this room. And there's huge power and potential in each of us. But we've got to stop avoiding the small things. And find how God delights in blessing as we just take one little step at a time. And I've finished with this where he's talking about vision. He says, please, please hear this, it is so important. If you have just left Bible school or believe that God is calling you to do great things for him, let him humble you first. Ask him to give you someone to serve, a man or woman of God who is already running with a vision from heaven. Ask God to lead you to the right person, someone who is wise, who will not rush you into ministry, but be sensitive to the Holy Spirit's timing in your life. Don't run ahead of the Lord. Let him finish his preparation in you. Too many ministries exist in the earth which were called by God, but not sent by him. If you go too soon, you start to rely on your own understanding, persuasive personality and intelligence. Then there is no power for real change. When God calls, he expects us to report to the throne and seek his direction and submit to him and his timing. When you are sent from heaven, there is the power of heaven behind you. And God will only trust his awesome power to those who have allowed him to humble them. It is just too dangerous for the rest of mankind we would not be able to handle it. We're called to Jesus, we're called together, and we're called to go out. And then we're called to come back and say what happened. And we're called to go out in His strength and His power. Let's pray. listen to the voice of God in our own spirits as he speaks to us. He speaks with huge encouragement and huge love. You're his treasure. He created you so that there are some other people who only you can speak to. He created you to bring life to people who don't have any life. And he says to each one of us again this morning, if, if you want meaning and if you want purpose for your life, come to me. Let's get rid of some of the clutter. Let's get rid of some of the distractions. I give you my spirit. I breathe into you my spirit. I breathe into you the fullness of the kingdom. You are a citizen of the King of Kings. So let's establish once and for all that I am God. 
Can I call you to serve me? And maybe we need to ask him forgiveness where we have treated him as our servant. Please tidy up my life. Please tidy up. Please do this. 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 Father, forgive us. Forgive us for our self-centeredness. Forgive us where we have just treated you like a doormat. But thank you for your mercy. And thank you that you're always willing to start again or refresh or renew. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you take the words of Jesus and make them live in us. So we just open our hearts and our minds and our lives to you as best we can and ask you, Jesus, to release your will and your love in us in a new way. We, we ask you to activate us in a new way. That we be more effective, that we be more aware of your reality, that the light would go on for us as well in some way today that will encourage us to rejoice because you are the living God in us who can work through us in ways far beyond our understanding. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You understand and sing a song called Freedom. Let's use it as a, an opportunity to receive. Uh, let's use it as an opportunity to just uh, be before the Lord and respond to Him. Then we're going to pray for His release in our lives more as we go on from here.